Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato, founder and fitness coach of Thrivology in Alexandria, Kentucky. Today, we're going to start talking about overcoming obstacles. Obstacles, of course, are what cause us from making progress. We're going to look at the actual definition of an obstacle, and then we'll expand on that definition a little bit so that we can understand what an obstacle really is. But obstacles have been the downfall of many a dream, many a goal, many an aspiration. I think I mentioned this, I don't remember in which series, but when it comes to New Year's resolutions, we all have many, most New Year's resolutions are based around health and fitness. I believe it's like 80% of them. Um, and 90% of those resolutions are dropped by the end of January, definitely by mid-February, which is a sad realization. But nonetheless, it's mostly because of some simple obstacles that could potentially be overcome by a few simple means, most of which we'll dive into over the next three episodes. So what is an obstacle? Well, the definition of an obstacle, if you went into the Google sphere and the search of sphere, if you will, uh, the definition of an obstacle, something that stands in the way of or holds up progress. And if you look at an obstacle, specifically from that point of view, which most of us do, then that's exactly how we act or react when we're confronted with an obstacle as well. We are on a path, we are making some progress, suddenly progress stops or we get bored or whatever happens, our schedule gets thrown off, whatever it is, and it holds up our progress. And for a lot of us, like I said, 90% of us, when it comes to New Year's resolutions, that's the end of it. And then maybe the, pr the process is repeated the next New Year. So there's much more to an obstacle than just something that stands in our way. An obstacle is simply showing us that what we're currently doing isn't what we potentially should be doing if we want to keep making progress. No matter what it is, that your goal is, whether you financially you're trying to save money or your health and fitness, you're trying to lose weight or get strong, whatever it is, like at some point, what you're doing is going to stop working. And if that's the case and we understand that, then we need to understand that that stopping working or whatever is standing in our way becomes the way, which leads me to the idea of how we could potentially change our thought about obstacles. Now, in our last episode of this week, we will expand on this idea, but it's worth hitting on today. So I'm a big, and I don't think I've talked about it a whole lot so far, but I am a big follower of what's called Stoic philosophy. Stoic philosophy, I'm already boring John with my talk on philosophy behind the camera yawning. Um, Stoic philosophy, 3,000 year old philosophy, based off of the philosophy of Socrates. For those of you who don't know who Socrates is, please go do some basic research and you'll understand. Socrates is the philosopher that basically started the idea of philosophy or thinking about what life is and is not and what it should be about. Stoic philosophy uh, was brought to a Roman emperor that goes by the name of Marcus Aurelius. If you've ever seen the movie Gladiator, then you know a little bit about who Marcus Aurelius is. If you've never seen the movie Gladiator, then go watch it right now and then come back in three hours once it's over and finish this, this episode. Uh, nonetheless, Marcus Aurelius 
was Roman emperor for, I forget how many years, about a decade. Um, and he is who is known as the philosopher king. In other words, he basically ruled through the ideas of Stoic philosophy. And we know this because in his book, which is not actually a book, it was his journal to himself um, that we call Meditations, his thoughts to himself, basically. Uh, we see that throughout his meditations, throughout his journal, if you will, he talks about his ideas and how he's living his life and having to process life and having to make changes in life through the ideas of Stoic philosophy. And in one of his more popular verses, if you will, which it is really brought about by a book called The Obstacle is the Way, written by Ryan Holiday, another book that I highly recommend most people, actually everybody, go read. Um, in one of his most popular verses, he talks about overcoming obstacles. So the verse is, or the line is, I'm talking about verse as if it's a scripture, because you could view it as that, but nonetheless, the line is, the mind adapts and converts its own purpose the, the mind adapts and converts to its own purpose the obstacle to our acting. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. In other words, instead of looking at an obstacle and viewing it as the thing that is stopping you from moving forward and then, for a lot of us, not taking any action to overcome, overcome it, looking at an obstacle and going, that's just the way I have to go now. Now I have to go through the obstacle. I have to figure out how to get to the other side of this thing so that I can keep moving forward. If we understand that no matter what we're doing, almost always our progress is going to stop at some point no matter what we're doing, then we can understand that we're always going to have to and always not meaning every day or even every week or even every month or potentially even every year, but at some point, we're going to have to reevaluate what we're doing so that we can start making progress again. So what stands in the way becomes the way. But what happens when we are confronted by the thing that is in the way? In other words, when we're confronted by an obstacle, what happens? Like physiologically, biologically, what's going on in our bodies when we're confronted by an obstacle? Well, in order to understand that, let's take a step back. We talked about in the Identity Crisis series, the emotional change cycle. If you recall, if you can visualize a roller coaster in your mind, the change cycle is similar to a roller coaster in that you start at a peak, you dip down, and then hopefully if you come out of the dip, you come to the top and you end at a peak as well. On the left side, we have unconscious optimism. In other words, we don't know what we don't know, and we're optimistic that we're able to make the change that we're trying to make. As we go, we start a slow dip down, and we realize a couple of obstacles, or maybe we overcome some small obstacles, and we get into what's called informed or conscious pessimism. In other words, we're starting to realize that this is going to be maybe a little harder than we thought, and we're maybe not as excited about the opportunity and our potential to achieve what we're trying to achieve. As we keep going, we get to the bottom of our roller coaster, if you will, in what we like to call the trough of despair. 
the bottom is where we're really confronted with a big obstacle and we just don't know if we're going to make it to the other side. Is this actually what I'm trying, what I want to pursue? Because apparently it's going to be harder than I thought it was going to be. And then if we push through that point, we get to conscious optimism. In other words, now that we've made it through a couple of big obstacles, we're becoming optimistic again that we can get to our we can get to our goal. And then if we get to the top of the end of the roller coaster, to the top of the peak, then we achieve the thing that we're trying to achieve. Okay? So five steps to the emotional change cycle, unco unconscious optimism, conscious pessimism, trough of despair at the bottom, conscious optimism, and then hopefully achievement once we get to the other side. Okay. So the trough of despair, like we mentioned back in the identity series, the trough of despair is when your identity is confronted. When you're at that point where things are getting hard, either your schedule keeps getting messed up or you are in a plateau that you can't get out of or you're just getting bored and you can't seem to get excited about the thing you're doing anymore. It's at that point where your identity is slapping you in the face and going, I don't think that this is going to work out, basically. And it's at that point where you either decide to move forward or step back. So what, is that, what does that really mean? Like, what does, what does it mean by me saying your identity is, is slapping you in the face? Your identity is creeping up and, and questioning your abilities to move forward. Um. So to understand what that means, let's build an example, if you will. Once we build this example, then we're going to look at two processes that happen as we are going through our change. So the example that we're going to use is we're starting a new training program. It can be any kind of program. It can be yoga, it can be weight training, whatever. But we're starting a new training program, and after some amount of time, we're getting bored of the training program. So let's say, for instance, we want to start working out regularly. We go join Globo Gym down the street. And after four to six weeks, we're getting bored of our routine. So that's the example we're going to kind of build this structure around, if you will. So as we're going through our change, and this is generally as you go through life, no matter what you're doing, but we're going to base it around this example. We have two processes that are happening that are regulating our interaction with the world as we're making these changes. Uh, the first one is bottoms up regulation. Bottoms up regulation is the interaction with the world based primarily on sensory input and the emotional arousal that you get from that sensory input. So if, for instance, you come to a stop sign, you look at the sign, you can look at the sign, the color of the sign, and you know that it means stop without even paying a whole lot of attention to the word. So you know that that red means stop. The same thing at a traffic light. You know that red means stop, yellow means slow down, and green means go. That is sensory input that is coming to you, and you just react to it. It's just, it's just what you do because you've been technically trained to react in that way. 
We do this regularly. This is most of how we live our life in a lot of different ways. Um, if we look at our example of going to Globo Gym, if you walk into any most big fitness centers around the country, there is a moderate sized free weight area. There's a medium sized uh, machine area, and there's a big, big, big cardio area. So that layout makes us think that we should be spending a lot of time on cardio, some time in the machine area, and then not as much time in the free weight area. Also, it can be kind of intimidating to go to the free weight area because, well, it's, to be totally honest, a little bit intimidating. I just as a little bit of a personal aside, a personal example, like I'm a person who's who grew up in fitness centers. I literally started training in one. Um, but for a long time, luckily, I we have our own facility and I train at our facility. So I don't spend a whole lot of time in fitness centers anymore. Every once in a while when I go out of town and I go to one and I go to the free weight area, like it's a little bit intimidating. So I totally get why a lot of people have a hard time going into them. Uh, nonetheless, that aside, aside, you go into the gym and you look at all the stuff and most people will go to the easiest path. And the easiest path is either getting on a treadmill, getting on an elliptical, getting on a bike, and then just doing it. Some people will go to the machines and they'll test out the machines because the risk of injury is pretty small. It's pretty low, but the risk of injury, if you don't know what you're doing and you haven't been properly coached up in a free weight area can be pretty high. So what most people do is go to either the machines, but primarily go to cardio. Maybe they test out a handful of machines and then they go to cardio and that's that. So that's you going into the gym taking in the inputs, taking in the surroundings, the environment, and then just reacting to the surroundings. Okay, there's a bunch of treadmills. I'm just going to go get on the treadmill. Here's some machines. I'm just going to do the machines. There's no plan. There's no idea behind it. It's just reacting to the environment that you're given. Okay, Um, bottoms up regulation is habitual. It's a primarily unconscious uh, kind of behavior, something that you just do automatically. Now, this habitual behavior, if you will, is governed by a brain region called the limbic system. The limbic system goes by another name, the paleomammalian cortex, paleomammalian meaning old mammal. So this part of the brain is, has developed over a longer period of time than another part of the brain that we'll talk about in a little bit. Old mammal literally meaning Back in the day, millions and millions of years ago, this part of the brain has, uh, was developed. So the limbic system is made up of a number of important structures, but we're going to go over a couple that are relevant to our conversation today when it comes to overcoming obstacles. Uh, first, the hippocampus that is we've talked about before. It's primarily based for uh, episodic memory and spatial navigation. In other words, remembering things in an in a episodic kind of way, like this happened, that happened. Whoops, sorry, I just hit the mic. Um, when events happen, you remember them kind of in episodes. The amygdala, which is 
based for emotional response and memory attachment. So anytime you are confronted with something and you have an emotional response to it, the amygdala is in charge of that, primarily in charge of that. And then the cingulate gyrus, which is for emotional regulation, and it's also for prediction and avoidance of negative stimuli. So if we look at these structures and we go back to our example, then we can start to understand how we can react in a bottoms-up way by being fearful and avoiding what we're trying to do. The amygdala is giving us an emotional response whenever we're confronted with an obstacle. That emotional response for a lot of people is fear, meaning fear that I'm not going to be able to overcome this thing, this obstacle, and I'm not going to be able to achieve my goal. Uh, the cingulate gyrus is helping to hopefully regulate those emotions, but it's also predicting any further obstacles and going to in, into avoidance of the negative feeling. So it is figuring out how to avoid those negative feelings in the future. At the same time, the hippocampus is thinking of past obstacles and the feelings that you've had from past obstacles. And when you put all of those things together and you're primarily working through bottoms-up regulation, then you're going to simply run away from the obstacle. In other words, you're going to flee from the obstacle. You're going to not try and work around, of it, around it. Excuse me. You're just going to stop the pursuit of the thing that you were after. So if we look at our example, we're working on a new training program. After four to six weeks, we start getting bored. And if we're regulated by bottoms-up regulation, we just stop what we're doing. Instead of trying to figure out how to overcome the boredom, we just go, well, I guess this isn't just going to work out. And then we start to figure out justifications to not pursue the training anymore. So that's one of the two regulations. That's bottoms up regulation. And like I said, you can think of that as kind of habitual reaction to the world and the environment around you. The second part of this process and it's worth remembering that these two aren't mutually exclusive meaning like you it's not like you're either doing one or you're doing the other both of these work together but you can kind of think of them as a scale whereas if you lean too far on one side you're going to be usually reacting more to things meaning your bottoms up process is usually going to be the one that takes over Whereas if you're leaning on the other side, then you're going to be using your top-down process, which we're going to be talking about in a second, which is more deliberate. It's more purposeful. It's more conscious instead of the habitual unconscious side of the bottoms-up regulation. So a top-down regulation, you're using contextual information from your previous experiences in combination with the sensory input that you're getting from your environment to direct your response to what's in front of you. So instead of just using the sensory input, you're using previous context and sensory input to put them together to figure out what you need to do with what you're being confronted with. 
So in going back to an example, the traffic light, we talked about when you're using bottoms up processing, if you're sitting at a traffic light that's red and it turns green, you go. Well, if you live in Alexandria, Kentucky, and I'm assuming that most towns have an intersection like this, there are a couple of intersections in Alexandria where there's a chance, and it's not a very high likelihood, but it's not terribly unusual to see a wreck at these intersections. In other words, when the light turns red and you're on one of the off streets, the people on the main street, a lot of times they're going to go through the red light. So if you're at the off street and the light turns red and you're using your top down processing instead of bottoms up, you might think for a second before you actually go. In other words, the light turns green. You sit there for a second, look both ways and then go. That's your top down processing, thinking through the process. I know that it's not unusual for wrecks to happen at this intersection. So I'm going to take a second to think about what's coming and I'm going to look and see what's coming before I automatically go. That's your top down processing. That's your, you're taking in sensory input, but you're also thinking about things that have happened in the past and looking into the future about what could potentially happen to make decisions about what you need to do right now. Now that all happens very quick, of course. It's not like that is a drawn out process, but nonetheless, it's not just a matter of green means go and you go. Green happens and you think about the potential of you moving forward. You take action to look both ways and then you end up going. If we look at our example of going to Globo Gym and getting bored of our training sessions, instead of just showing up to the gym and reacting to the environment that we're given, getting on the treadmill, getting on machines or whatever it is, we could potentially come up with a plan before we go into the gym so that we have a structure. We've thought it through. We've looked at the past and we've gone, if I've tried last time I tried this, things didn't go well because I just ended up getting bored because all I did was get on the treadmill and I got bored, didn't see any progress and it wasn't any fun. So I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to put a structure together so that when I go in, I don't have to think about it. I go in, I have my structure together. This is what I think that is going to work for me. And then I just do the structure. So that's you thinking from a top down way about what you need to do in order to help yourself move forward instead of just reacting to the environment that you're given. So the top down structure, top down processing is deliberate. It is a conscious process. It is not habitual where you're just reacting to the world. It is a conscious, deliberate process where you're taking in information and then you're purposely using it to structure a plan, if you will, to overcome or use the information that you're given. So this also has a brain area that's utilized and the primary structure that is utilized during top-down processing is called the prefrontal cortex. We've talked about the prefrontal cortex before in the showing up series when we talked about how the prefrontal cortex text and the basal ganglia work together to help build habits. So the prefrontal cortex, 
it's literally at the front of your skull, if you will, about right behind your forehead, is part of what's called the frontal lobe, which is the front part of your brain. And that's part of the cerebral cortex, which is the top layer of your brain, if you will. If you looked at a brain right now, which I assume most of you don't have brains in front of you, um, but if you looked at a brain right now, what you see on top is the cerebral cortex. There's things underneath of it too, one of them being the limbic system that we've talked about. But what you see on top is the cerebral cortex, and at the front of the brain is the prefrontal cortex, hence the name. So like we talked about in the, in the Showing Up series, the prefrontal cortex gives meaning to experiences and helps override habitual behavior. Um, one of the ways that I have heard the prefrontal cortex being described best is by a guy named Robert Sapolsky, who is a, neuro, a neurology professor at Stanford. He said, the prefrontal cortex makes us do the hard thing when it's the right thing to do. So as you can tell, as I described the top-down process, in other words, a deliberate process, the prefrontal cortex making us do the hard thing when it's the right thing to do, it is the thing that makes us think through what is happening instead of us just reacting to the world. So now we have a general understanding of these two processes, bottoms up process and top down process. And through understanding these two, then we can understand what happens when we're confronted with an obstacle. So if you recall at the beginning of this episode, I gave you a quote about actions and how the impediment to action advances action, what stands in the way becomes the way. So that quote is only a portion of the original quote. Of course, the full quote itself is just a portion of meditations. But the full quote with, within the context of what we're talking about from Marcus Aurelius goes, our actions may be impeded by them. And by them, he's talking about obstacles. Now, in the context of meditations, he's talking about people as obstacles. But we can look at the word them as obstacles in general. Our actions may be impeded by them, but there can be no impeding our intentions and dispositions. Because we can accommodate and adapt, the mind adapts and converts to its own purpose, the obstacle to our acting, the impediment to action advances action, what stands in the way becomes the way. So Marcus Aurelius, of course, was not a neurology professor. He was no neuroscientist. I don't even know if that was a thing 2,000 years ago. He was simply a Roman emperor that was following the philosophy of the Stoics. And yet, they knew and understood that obstacles were just a thing. And when we were confronted with them, if we had the right intentions and dispositions, then we were able to overcome them, adapt, accommodate, and use them to our purpose. So what do we mean by intentions and dispositions? Well, that's going to be the talk of the next two episodes. But just to hint at what we're talking about, disposition is basically our identity. It is our general acting toward things. How, are, how do we generally act toward things? What is our general identity? 
What do we believe we are and how do we try and overcome obstacles whenever we're confronted by them? Our intentions are our intentions. Our how purposeful we're being whenever we're pursuing something. Are we mildly purposeful? Are we fully purposeful? What does it look like? Why are we pursuing it? And the combination of those two things will big time determine how you, what happens whenever you are confronted by an obstacle and if you're going to overcome it. From a strictly structural standpoint, in other words, brain structural standpoint, the big tipping point here is your amygdala, your activation of your amygdala. When you're confronted by an obstacle, your amygdala turns on your emotions. And basically how far down the rabbit hole you go will kind of dictate how you respond or react to that obstacle. Um, as Abraham Maslow said, at any given moment, you have two options to step forward into growth or back into safety. And it's basically that activation of your amygdala that at that moment, either you're deciding to step forward into growth. In other words, when you feel your amygdala turn on and all of a sudden fear is in your face because you think that you're not able to all of a sudden achieve this goal, either you're going to step forward into growth or you're going to step back into safety. And as we're going to see in future episodes, next, uh, the next episode and the episode after that, the more often you do either one of those things, the more likely you are to do that in the future. Literally, the more often that you overcome an obstacle, the more likely you are to overcome an obstacle in the future. The more often that you step back into safety, the more often, more likely you are to step back into safety next time. I know I just gave away a few things for next time, but that's okay. I'm happy to do that. Um, so that's all I have for now. Let's do a quick summary. We'll go over some questions um, and then we'll wrap it up. So remember the change cycle. It is a normal thing for everybody. You are human if you go through the change cycle. If you don't go through the change cycle, you are an automaton and you should let science do something with you <laughs> so we can figure out how to not do this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the trauma despair is a normal thing for everybody. It is at the bottom of the change cycle where we are confronted with our identity and there are two processes that kind of go into that confrontation of our identity, bottoms up process that is more reactionary, more unconscious, uh, more habitual. And then there's the top down process, which is more deliberate and more conscious. And based on which one you allow to rule you, if you will, will decide whether you're going to overcome the obstacle or not, or whether you're going to try to, or it's not a matter of if you're going to achieve the thing indefinitely, but at least if you're going to overcome the obstacle that's in front of you. And it is the amygdala, the activation of your emotions, the arousal of your emotions that mostly, not only, but mostly dictates which side of that balance you're going to teeter on. And then remember, the more often you do that thing, the more likely you are to do it in the future. So... Here's a couple of questions to think about. Uh, what is my usual response when confronted with an obstacle? Now, we all have 
varying levels of confidence in different areas of our lives. So in some areas, you or you probably more easily will overcome an obstacle, whereas in others where you don't feel as competent in them, it may be more challenging for you. But it's worth thinking about in general what happens whenever you're confronted with an obstacle. When was the last time I overcame an obstacle and how did I feel about it? So anytime you're trying to you're challenged in something, it's worth remembering the things that you've done in the past that you have overcome. And when you think about those things, then you can start to believe in yourself again that you can overcome this new obstacle. Finally, how can I be more deliberate with my actions? So instead of just reacting to the environment around you, how can you be deliberate with the environment around you to help you pursue the goals that you're after so that you can become the kind of person who is deliberate with their actions so that you can become the kind of person that can achieve the goals that you're after. And that's literally what life is kind of about is becoming. You never, ever, 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 ever are if that makes sense. Of course, you are a human, but you never are there. You are always becoming. You are becoming the kind of person that can achieve the thing that you want to achieve. Once you've achieved that thing, probably you're going to want to achieve a different thing. And this isn't about being the best, brightest, most successful, blah, blah, blah. But we all have a need to pursue. And if you can understand that it is all about becoming, you can understand that we'll always have to overcome obstacles. But before I go down that rabbit hole a little more, that's all for today. Make sure that you subscribe and you share with your friends so that they can get the good news too. And until next time, my friends, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.